0: How many here are Black Friday shoppers? Just out of curiosity, get your hand up. Don't be ashamed. No shame. I just want to see. Only, only four? Only four Black Friday? Oh, five Black Friday shoppers. Man, I was just curious. Ah, and honest. In the end, it's all right. Uh, Late honesty is still honesty. It's 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 great. Yeah, Thanksgiving's coming up. Who is excited about Thanksgiving? Oh, more than Black Friday shoppers. Who is more excited about Thanksgiving than Christmas? Don't even think about putting your hands. <laughs> Thanksgiving is a wonderful holiday. It is what I call the dress rehearsal for the real holiday, which is Christmas. So Anyway, all right, very seriously, um, this morning, (laughs) switching gears and diving into Scripture, we are almost to the end of the God First series, and we started this almost a whole year ago. We spent an entire year talking about Deuteronomy and the book of Hebrews to point toward this, to encourage us all year long to be asking the question, how am I, how can I put God first in my life? The end of many of the letters of the New Testament give us kind of a shotgun blast of what it looks like to put into practice the theology that has gone before it. So as we've been moving through the book of Hebrews, if you want to grab a Bible, go ahead. Um, If you want to grab the Pew Bible and follow along right with me, uh, it's on page 1009. Hebrews 13 is where we'll be. But in Hebrews, we've had 12 chapters of really deep material thinking about the supremacy of Christ and uh, the everlasting covenant that is built in his blood and the unity of the people of God and the faith of the saints that have gone before us. And now as he comes to the conclusion, he is going to give in rapid fire succession what it ought to look like in practice. And so this is... This is my passion. I love these kinds of chapters because they get at actually how we are to live out our faith. And really, just in and of itself, that's a message. If you are not living out your faith, your faith is meaningless. In um, 2 Corinthians, just to get there real quick, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he he says that, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. This morning is a great opportunity to test yourself. As we talk about these things that Hebrews lays out in light of all that has gone before and all that God has done and all that God has done to transform you and bring you into His people, are you living out your faith? So here we go. As we open up to Hebrews 13, it starts with one very simple, very simple line. Let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. And you're all like shocked. What? I can't even believe. Love in the Bible? What? Um, Love is a theme that goes from beginning to end. And I I hope that over this year, especially all that time we spent in Deuteronomy, really helped you understand that the God of the New Testament, who demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, is the same God of the Old Testament, who covenanted with a wicked people, who continually turned their back on him, and yet he loved them anyway. I was arguing with a a fellow Christian uh, this week, uh, back and forth, Because he was saying things like the God of the Old Testament is an angry God and we see something different in Jesus. No. God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God through all. And in all of this, God is calling us to love one another. That love takes on a new meaning in Jesus Christ, though. Jesus says in John chapter 13, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, but love has a particular form, a particular shape, and it's demonstrated in a new way in Jesus Christ. Sure, we knew God was faithful. Sure, reading the Old Testament, you could say, man, God forgave these people again and, again and 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 again. God just continues to pour out his love and his faithfulness, but what we see in Jesus is something new, and that is what god's love looks like and it looks like a cross what does it look like for us to let brotherly love continue it looks like this how did god love you let me see your hands if god forgave you so what ought you to do for one another let me see your hands if god gave his time up for you what ought you to do for one another let me see your hands. If God gave of his own life for you, what ought you to do for one another? Right? I mean, Christ represents for us not just the word of God, but displays the intensity of the love of God for you. And he says, if you would follow me, then you have to make it look like this. And in fact, this in and of itself will be the display that the world will look at a group of people and say marveling at them, wow, they really actually love each other. Because we use the word love a lot, don't we? I love pizza. Do you love pizza? Right? I love Thanksgiving. Do you love Thanksgiving? I love Christmas. Do you love... We use love to cover a lot of things, just like we use the f- word friends. If you go on Facebook, how many of you have over 400 friends? How many of you know how many? I don't even know how many there are. All these And doesn't they make the word friend meaningless? I, I mean, I, I, I'm not friends with all those. We used to have acquaintances, like people that you talk sports with as you passed by or in the checkout line or at work. You'd be like, hi, Joe, how you doing? Great. How are you? Great. And we go our separate We aren't friends. Or acquaintances, right? We we water those words down. We, it, it, friendship is somebody who I, I've actually invested time with, who I'm actually concerned about, somebody who I'm willing to drop everything and go see that person. And that is the same thing with this word love. You'll notice that love has an object in this text. What's the object? Brotherly love, the love that is qualified by family, and in the ancient world family was literally all you had. You couldn't trust anyone else. Your family was so tight-knit, it was so closed off, that you would not, like, you look suspiciously at other families. But what is The author here tells us, he says, if you're going to really live out all that Christ has done for us, if you're going to live faithfully all that the saints have gone on before you, all that they have done and built and laid the foundation for you, then it has to look like this, us loving one another. Paul puts it this way. If I have the gift of understanding everything, if if you understood all the mysteries of Scripture, if you could speak and do miraculous things, if you gave away all your possessions, if you gave up your body, you died for someone, but that did not emerge out of love, it wasn't Christ like. And you wasted your life. What a tragic thing. So the scriptures emerge and they tell us, listen, this has to come out of love and how quickly love can die. How many of you have ever had a ruined friendship? I was thinking as I was reading this brotherly love text, I was thinking of a friendship that I had cultivated with this person. Together, we had cultivated this friendship for around 10 years through thick and thin, lots of good times, lots of bad times. And we're still friends to this day, but after a few Poorly chosen words, that friendship took a hit that it never recovered from. And I've seen that happen more than a few times in church. I love that the text here says, let brotherly love continue. It's not saying start it up. It's saying, like, look around. You see the love that you have for one another? Make it greater. When I look around ODCC over the past five years that I have been here, I have seen such great love from so many of you. Let it continue. And beware, beware the the root of bitterness and unforgiveness, the root of pride and grudges and anger. Beware those roots because it just takes one tiny little seed and 10 years of work and friendship and service together could be destroyed. We have to be careful. And so here are my um, little quick three little things i think that really help brotherly love continue i think there's scriptural backing for this but this is this is some of my some of my thoughts and some of what i've seen practiced you have to spend time together facebook friends are not friends they're acquaintances friends are people you have in your house and they make coffee without asking permission <laughs> if you come over to my house and you and and you open the fridge to get a pop i know you belong if you say, can I get a pop? You don't belong, right? Is that, a good, is that a good definition? Does that work? Let's have more coffee making and pop taking. And the only way we will get there is how? Spending time together. Inviting one another over. And actually investing in the relationships around. That's how we will see love grow. We must then also be vulnerable. There's no way to... There's no way. listen your space, especially today in the modern world, like your house. What do we call it? the castle? Right? Like it's, it's sacred space in many ways. And inviting people into that space is threatening because now I got to clean the bathroom, right? We've got to start. We we. Like, I know when real friends are coming over because Laura's not a basket case of cleaning. She's like, well, they've they've seen. They know. You know what we're really life is really like. vulnerability and vulnerability will breed what trust and trust will breed what accountability me being able to say to you hey listen i see something going sideways in your life or in your marriage or with your kids and and i'm I'm praying for this but like how can i help and the only way we're ever going to get there is if we begin to be vulnerable with one another and my last thing is we must sue for peace we must sue for peace If there is a position or friendship or something that happens where you look at someone in this building, you say, "I don't like that person's face." You need to go to them and make peace. How dare we take communion? How dare we take? You know what Paul said about a church divided that takes communion? This is why some of you have died. You aren't concerned with the body of Christ. You might be concerned with Christ, but you're not concerned with the body of Christ, which is the person sitting next to you. And if you can't stand their face, how dare you take communion? And so we must sue for peace. We must say to that person, listen, I'm mad at you. I say that, I mean, we say that to our wives. My wife feels free to say it to me. Because it's only when we get it out on the table that we actually can make the peace. Can I get away? Is that true? Married people? People with kids? People with deep relationships? I mean, if you're single, you still have deep relationships. In order to maintain those deep relationships, you have to be honest. You have to be vulnerable. You have to be committed to that relationship. You must sue for peace. That is the only way that brotherly love will continue. And this text, this little line here, which is only three words in Greek, functions as the foundation, the cornerstone for everything else that he's about to say through the rest of the chapter. He's got a lot of things to say. If you stand back, you might think, well, this is a shotgun blast of ethics. It isn't. It begins with this idea of love rooted in Christ. And it flows through all of the other things that he's going to talk about. So let's look at the next, next verse here. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. That would be a cool thing, wouldn't it? This harkens back to the story of Abraham. You might remember this story. Abraham is sitting there, and uh, three men come wandering through, and he immediately gets up, and he... And he brings them in. And we find out later on that one is the angel of the Lord and there's two other angels. And those angels are going to go to Sodom and Gomorrah to see if there are any righteous people there. And as they end up there in Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot sees those two angels and he brings them home as well. Not knowing, of course, who they really were. They entertained messengers, divine beings from God. Now this is being attached then to the practice that we see in that ancient world where hospitality was really important because, you know, if you went to Bethlehem, for instance, there was not a whole lot of hotel space and they didn't have two Denny's, the good one and the not-so-good one. They had very little options. And so it was necessary that, that you were hospitable. But in order to be hospitable, you had to be what? Vulnerable. You had to allow somebody who you might not know into your space. And so here, we see the early church takes hospitality very seriously because there are Christians who are traveling, much like we had a missionary last week come and visit us, and we, we have them appear from time to time, come by and visit us. Opening our homes and our lives to the traveling missionary is the closest thing to what he's talking about here. He says, listen, don't close yourself off, but be open. Because we serve a God who's whose resources are not limited by our imagination. What's in your pantry does not limit God. What's in your bank account does not limit God. Your time does not limit God. God can do abundantly more than we think or expect. And so in order to be the kind of people who let brotherly love continue, we have to be the same kind of people who say, come on in and sit at my table and eat from my food. That's Christian practice on the ground And we can do that, can't we? I mean, I look at the holidays are coming up. There shouldn't be a single person in this room who is lonely on Thanksgiving. There shouldn't be a single person in this room who is lonely on Christmas. But in order to do that, you kind of have to know who's lonely. In order to do that, you have to have friendships. In order to do that, you have to have spent time together. Do you see how all this is backing up into brotherly love? If we're going to be the kind of people who are open, then we have to know one another and we have to be open enough with one another to know that we have needs. And so my exhortation to you, as the holidays begin to ramp up and as you begin to get very busy with your biological families, do not forget your church family. Do not forget the single people. Do not forget widows. Do not forget the people who who don't have family nearby. I was thinking back to a couple of things. Was it two Thanksgivings back? Or was it Christmas? Christmas. Uh, these guys have family that's far away. The Funks have family that's far away. And our family has far, is far away. And we did Christmas together. Like, not to hold ourselves up as the great people. Although we are great. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Like, why, why are we not doing more of this? I, and, and I know many of you do this thing. You say, well, Jordan, I do that all the time. Great. I love it. Let it continue. This isn't a word of rebuke. This is a word of encouragement. If you've done it once, do it thrice, so that people can look at us. You can go back to work and say, "What did you do on Christmas?" Well, my family's far away. I didn't feel, or my family's nuts, whatever happens to be the case. And said, "You know, I was with my brothers and my sisters on Christmas." and that's that 's something beautiful to be seen. Remember what Jesus said: When you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So often we look to do our good deeds either. Either making sure that we say, this is a trend I've seen around, like people do something really nice and then they film it and they put it on Facebook and we all like it and share it and it all warms our hearts. Do you remember what Jesus said about that? You got your reward. You got 2,000 likes. But that which is done in secret, God must reward. So when you do your good deeds, go ahead and put them on Facebook. That's fine. But Your reward's done. So let's do our good deeds in such a way that it isn't shining for everyone, but do them because they emerge out of our actual desire to love people and trust in God who does not forget anything except for our sins. The next flows from it as well. Coming from hospitality, we are told in uh, the next verse, verse three, to remember those who are in prison As though you are in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you are also in the body of Christ. Here's very interesting. He says, when somebody is in prison, if you are a part of the body of Christ, you're in prison with them. And if they're beaten, then you're beaten with them. We don't understand this because we live in a country where we don't suffer those kinds of things. Uh, this is speaking directly of people who are imprisoned or beaten for their faith. Remember earlier, it talked about uh, them being uh, plundered, their property being plundered, and them not, not uh, resisting sin to the shedding of their blood, that we know that persecution is happening in this church. And that persecution, he says, listen, I, I know it's happening to Mitch over there, but because it's happening to Mitch over there, it's happening to you too. And we don't have that right in front of our eyes in the same way, but I could not help but read this passage and think of last week and hearing C.Y. Kim talk about two and a half years in jail that he spent. Was it in China? Was it in China, Barbara? I don't remember. Or was it North Korea? I can't remember. China. And he is still there serving those people who many of them are probably in jail for their faith. I think of our uh, Kalpahar uh, children's home where they have to be very careful what they say, otherwise they will end up in jail. These are our brothers and sisters that we as a church have direct contact with. He asked, there's a a sheet of paper out there, he asked for goats and blankets for children that he might bless them. My kids want Legos. Legos right? I'm not trying to guilt anybody, but let's just look at the weight of the things that are important here for a moment. If they are suffering, we are suffering. If they are in prison, we are in prison. If they are hungry, we are hungry. If they are beaten, we are beaten. If they are cold, we are cold. Do not forget our missionaries and our brothers and sisters across the world. And man, all you have to do is turn on the news and you see that story. And if you want to help there is a mission team here who all you have to do is say, how can I help? And they will tell you. That's available to us. So let brotherly love continue. We've been helping them. Let's continue and increase our help for them. Remembering those things that matter most. And not getting sucked into the things that matter very little. They're going to mothball those Legos in a week, right? Right? Next, uh, it continues on, this time focusing um, on the marriage relationships. And so there's sort of a, a, it kind of gets weird with the lingo because uh, Laura is my sister in Christ. I am her brother in Christ. Of course, we're married. And so for me to love her is to love her as a sister, which comes first. I need to love her as a Christian first. That's a good word for anybody who's thinking or dating or engaged or any of that kind of thing. And for married folks as well. We love like brothers and sisters in Christ first and then romance. Too frequently it goes the other way. You know what happens when it goes the other way? Divorce. Because if you let brotherly love continue and you root that in Christ, divorce gets off the table immediately. Let marriage be held in honor. This word honor means, uh, could be also translated like precious, something that is of the highest import. It means the most. There's not a word that that could outshine it, right? Let it be held with honor among you and let the marriage bed be undefiled. It could go on. Right now we live in a world where uh, these things are just everywhere. Protect Your Children, they're watching Netflix, new cartoon, uh, introducing uh, LGBT stuff. Season one, just right there out front. Be careful what you let your kids watch. Defiling marriage in front of everything. We read here, for God will, and and this is very interesting because this is immediately where we get into judgment language. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. They should look at us. The world should look at us. And even though, of course, we're, we're, we're broken, we make lots of mistakes, lots of things have happened in our past. So I'm not talking about the past. I am talking about this moment and pushing forward. What does it look like for us to let brotherly love continue? It looks like this. We, as a church, honor marriage. And everything else is, use a Bible, good Bible word, anathema pushed aside, rejected, because we fear God. And here it ties directly into, and these these things tied together in the ancient world together. uh, There was sexual immorality and greed. These things were seen together. And so that's what kind of leads to the next line here. Um, The next line here that directs us towards not, not loving money. He says in verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money, be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you. God has said, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Uh, in Ephesians 5, these two ideas get called together. For we know and recognize this, Paul says, every sexually immoral or impure person or a greedy person who is an idolater does not have inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Why are those things two things together? Because you will always see this. In a person or place where people have rejected God, they must either idolize the human body and therefore desecrate it, or they must idolize objects and therefore desecrate them. We are people who all have, we were designed for worship. We're designed for it. You have to praise something. Everyone praises something. I love watching uh, the BBC uh, Earth videos, the different Earth videos. They're so beautiful. And there are always these, these, these things where you just, everybody's standing back saying, oh man, this is beautiful. Thank you. We want, we've got, we, we feel this like urge, like there's, there's something deserves praise for this beauty, and we fill those voids. That gap has to be filled, and that is exactly what we watch in our society today. As they continue to fill the gap and secularize more and more, the gap is filled with sexual immorality and Greed. And so we are called as a church to be people who are not burdened by those sins, but rather because of brotherly love and because of all that Christ has done in, through, and by, uh, God has done in, through, and by Jesus and filled us with his spirit. Because of all of that, we're able to rise out of this filth. I mean, isn't it filth? Brokenness? Hatred, and we turn on the news. Isn't it filth? Turn on 8 o'clock primetime TV. We're called to rise up out of this in such a way, in such a way that we can display Christ meaningfully. He says uh, here, Christ is our, uh, God is my helper. Whom do I have to fear? And this he hearkens back to uh, Psalm one. And in Psalm 118, it says that, uh, Out of my distress, I called to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And even when all of the nations surround me in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Greed has to do with fear. Fear that there is not enough. Fear that tomorrow it will overtake us. Fear that God won't provide And what does the text say? We are not the people of fear. We are the people who serve a living God who said I'm not going to abandon you but rather I'm going to step in and take care of you. I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to walk with you. And often he will do that by all of the things backing all the way up through the text that we've already talked about. Hospitality and love and remembering one another and caring for one another financially and recognizing that when they're beaten we're beaten and when they're hungry we're hungry. When they're cold we're cold and so because of this there's this great hope that God does not abandon his people but he works through them to accomplish his purpose and his will and his goodness so that the world can look at us and say, man there must be something to Jesus because these people really love each other. There must be something there. In godliness and with contentment there is great gain for we brought nothing into the world And we will take nothing out of it. So if we have food or clothing, we will be content with these. That's what Paul says. And I'm not entirely certain I can say that. Because Laura asked me what's on my Christmas list this year. And I had answers for her. Right? Which isn't to say, I'm not trying to be Scrooge here i not trying to be like that, but I'm just saying this is a season that is about Christ, as is every single day of the Christian's life. And we have been given so very, very much, and our brothers and sisters have needs. And out of the goodness and joy of our heart, wouldn't it be wonderful to focus on that? And to remember that that which is truly valuable is that which we store for the day of judgment. And that which is truly valuable is you sitting at my table and me sitting at your table feasting together and thinking and singing and praying and exalting Jesus Christ because we know there is a greater feast to come. And so I thought of this passage from Timothy as we come to a, as we come to a conclusion. I thought of this passage from, uh, from Timothy where, where Paul is instructing Timothy uh, on how to instruct his wealthy people in his church. And I know that many of you would say to yourself, well, I, I'm not wealthy. Um, but compared to uh, the people that CY Kim was talking about last week, you sure are. And so these are words of goodness and hope. These aren't negative things. These aren't sad things. These are things that are good for our instruction. So he says this. Instruct those who are rich in this present age not to be prideful about it. But rather to set our hope on God, not on the uncertainty of wealth. That we who are rich in this life should instead focus on being rich in good works that we should be generous and willing to share that we should store up for ourselves as a good foundation for the coming age all of those good things so that we may take hold of what is truly life For life is not caught up in the abundance of things. And so as we looked at this passage, there are so many places in which we can make real life application for the faith that we've been given, the theology that we've been shared. And it all backs up into that one first line, those first three words of that chapter, let brotherly love continue. It started, this church I've been a part of it for five years, coming December 1st. And it's been going for many, many years, long before that. I have seen as I walked in here day one, I saw the love that you had. And I loved the love. And I have seen it grow since I've been here. And so my exhortation to you today is this. Let that love get bigger. And don't let it get bigger with words, but let it get bigger with details as we eagerly await the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we come to a conclusion today, uh, we offer an invitation, as we, we often do, for anybody who needs prayer. Maybe things are tough and you need to be vulnerable. Well, well come on and, and, and let us know so that like Jack can invite you to Thanksgiving. Lisa wants to cook for more people. She told me earlier, I don't have to cook enough turkeys. Send people to, I'm just kidding, she didn't say that. But now that I've said that, she said that, she kind of has to do it, right? That's a dirty trick. We want to share our lives together. So if you need, or if you are lonely, or if you need prayer, or if you need somebody to give you a hug, if you need to confess your sin and get that off of your life, so that someone can pray blessings over you and forgiveness and grace and mercy and walk with you and fight with you so that sin doesn't come back into your life or if you are not a Christian at all. And you say, there is something to that Jesus and I need to know more about it. We'll have all of our elders down front. They would love to walk with you, to pray with you, to share their life with you. If you have a decision to make, make it. Let's stand as we sing.